Here we go, Draft Knicks. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Draft Nation. My name is Joe 412, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. Before we begin, uh, we want to thank our sponsor, longtime sponsor, iHeartMedia, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free. And for those of you who have not listened to our show before, Draft Nation is a national e-magazine that hyper-focuses on all four major sports and their professional drafts. Uh, and we cover all aspects of that, which include things like player scouting, mock drafts, free agency, of course, everybody's favorite salary cap provisions, and uh, the needs of your favorite teams. And before we drop the puck tonight, we're going to be talking a lot about hockey. We have a very special guest, Scott Burnside, uh, and I know many of you will recognize that name, but Scott, uh, welcome to Draft Nation, and are you ready to go on the clock? I, I'm pumped. I've been thinking about this all day. So, no, I'm, I'm ready to roll. I, I hope I'm up to the challenge, but uh, thanks for having me aboard. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? You've got a pretty extensive resume. We're really happy to have you on the show. <laughs> well, it's kind of you to say that's a function of being old, but that's all right. But, uh, no, I've been doing uh, – <laughs> I've been covering hockey for a long time now. It's, uh, I, I was a news guy for, for quite some time. Actually, um, one of the sort of trivial parts or a trivia question, I suppose. Uh, at one point, I uh, helped uh, co-author a true crime book uh, when I was working at the uh, Toronto Sun. And shortly after that, uh, started in, in sports and have been covering mostly hockey since the late 1990s, my, my first NHL gig, I was the uh, sports columnist in Windsor, Ontario, covered back-to-back cup wins for the uh, Red Wings in 97 and 98, uh, and then moved on to mostly national stuff uh, from that point on. And, uh, you know, I've, it, it, I've knocked around a while. I've managed to, to make it to three Olympic games, a couple of World Cup of Hockey, lots and lots of drafts. So, uh I'm happy to uh, to be here and 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 uh, pumped to talk a little hockey with you. Yeah, you know, and last year's draft was in Nashville, and I didn't think it could get much better than that. But this year's in Vegas, so it's hard to hard to complain, right? So, uh, but let's talk NHL for a while here. I know we've got a, a lot of fans of the sport uh, that listen, and you know, we're around the halfway mark of the season. Uh, who has surprised you the most? And who has disappointed you the most? Yeah, it's such a great question. Now, I'll tell you the NHL, it's so, to me, it's so different this year. Um, and maybe we've, we've been trending this way for four or five years. And, you know, we call it the mushy middle. Um, but, but there are, I think, fewer elite teams, I'm using my air quotes here, um, you know, teams that you look at and you say, okay, that's, you know, a year ago, Boston was on a, a record-setting pace. And, of course, it ended up, um, with the most regular season points in NHL history. And, of course, it, it mattered not because they were done after seven games against Florida. But, you know, right. you, you looked at the Boston Bruins a year ago and you said, okay, that's a team. Okay, let's pencil them into at least a conference final, probably a Stanley Cup final, who is going to beat them. I don't know that we have that this year. Um, you know, for Canadian listeners or fans, um, you know, the the top two teams – you know, points percentage-wise, and I think you could argue level of play for the last three or four weeks, the Vancouver Canucks and the Winnipeg Jets, and, and two teams, you know, the, the joke will always be, oh, my gosh, what happens if Vancouver and Winnipeg are in a Western Conference final? Uh, people in, in New York at the NHL head offices won't like that matchup very well for the, the ratings. But what, what 
you know, two redemptive stories for franchises, um, you know, that have been either A, dysfunctional or B, underachieving or C, a combination of the both. Um, and what great stories for, for those marketplaces uh, with Winnipeg and Vancouver. Colorado's a really good team. Um, I am going to an- answer your question, Joe, but I'm, I'm sort of building to it now. I, I think I that, it. for, okay. me, <laughs> for me, you know, what, and I know they're getting uh, waxed tonight, but, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, new hockey management in place there, uh, guys I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with over the years, and Danny Briere, the new GM, and the, the new head of hockey ops, Keith Jones, and, you know, who anybody who's ever watched or listened to any hockey over the last 20 years, everyone knows, certainly both those guys, but Keith Jones through his broadcast career, um, and they've been very bold in Philadelphia. They've made some moves uh, recently, um, bringing in Jamie Drysdale, a top-end defensive prospect for Anaheim after their top offensive prospect, Cutter Gauthier, decided he didn't want to be a Philadelphia Flyer, so that made people oh, what a, in what, Philly What a crazy unhappy. story. What an know, absolutely so, crazy story. We'll get, get into that. Yeah, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, it's you, no, but it's a, it's a, it, you know, to me, it's part of that whole. There has been a real rekindling of uh, of the passion in Philadelphia for this team. You know, as we're talking right now, they're in second place in the uh, Metropolitan Division. I don't think anyone imagined that. I think a lot of people imagined maybe a lottery pick team again this year. Certainly not a playoff caliber team. And I don't know, maybe, you know, they're hitting a bit of a rough patch now. I watched their game against Colorado on the weekend and, uh, you know, a lot of really good young players. And I love how John Tortorella coaches that team. Guys are in another lineup. Uh, you know, Morgan Frost, who's a, a really talented player. You know, he's a healthy scratch. And, and But that's how John Tortorella coaches. So that's part of the process in Philadelphia. It's an evolution there. I, I hate that term, but it really is. But the Flyers are ahead of the curve there. Um and in in the Western Conference, um, I think the Vancouver Canucks, you know, it's a team that's had, you know, changed coaches and changed management. Um, it's a very weird market. They kind of eat their own in Vancouver in terms of the media. And it's a really crazy place. Um, but Rick Tockett, oh, my gosh, the, the job that he has done in a brief period of time since taking over, you know, sort of towards the end of last season uh, I, I, you know, I'm so pleased for Rick Tockett, who is such a good person and I, and I think has been waiting and, uh, to, you know, for a chance to show that he does have elite coaching chops and he certainly has that in Vancouver. So they'd be my, probably my pick in the West and, you know, a little disappointing, you know, Calgary Flames and Seattle Kraken, both teams. I think a lot of people like this, the playoffs are in that sort of mushy middle Minnesota wild. I, I provided content for the wild, uh, on a number of platforms over the last year and a half or so and just crushed by injuries right out of the gate um made a coaching change there and john hines took over for dean evison um but it's it's you know tough going for the the minnesota wild and and in the eastern conference the ottawa senators for me a team that you know people have been waiting for a long time to jump up they've got all kinds of talent uh new ownership uh change in management uh um, Steve Stales, who was a terrific guy as a player and a, a really smart player, has turned into a smart executive, um, comes in and, and is now the GM and um, will run the hockey ops with Dave Poulin, another you know, longtime player and very, very smart uh, hockey mind. But that's a Senators team that 
it's just taking a long time, right? They're, you know, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings. They're not going to make the playoffs again. And, uh, that, the, you know, that's, it's been a tough go for them there. But, boy, there are a lot of good players. And, and hopefully they get it right. They, they'll have to find a coach. Jacques Martin is not going to be the guy uh, after this season. So that's the key part. Now, you've got to find the guy who can coach that young team um, back to respectability. That's a long answer. I, you know, I'm, we're, I hope I haven't bored you. Not at all. In fact, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm I'm glad you you brought up a couple of, of real salient points there, and I'll get into them as I go through it. I mean, I have to agree with you. If you, if you were looking at my notes for the show, I mean, I think you hit on all of the same teams that I was going to talk about. And you know, I, I'll I'll start with the East. I mean, Philadelphia's got to be the big surprise, but I do think I, I'm not sure they could sustain. Like they look like they're like I I honestly think they don't want to sustain. I mean, they they want to be a lottery pick. I, I, they're, they don't, I, it, I'd be surprised if they do uh, stay where they are. I don't, I don't think that was the plan. And with Mishkov being a couple of years away, I'm not sure this team is, is ready to do this. They might be a one and done. They might not. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like they're a paper tiger and that one day the wheels are going to just come off of it. They're just too early. Like either they're arriving a year or two too early, I think. And then Ottawa, what a disappointment. I mean, just a kick in the teeth disappointment. Everybody, they were struggling. They were, I read on the bubble last year and people expected so much from them, but you know, I'll tell you what the pleasant surprise is Vancouver. I mean, Rick Tockett, I was, I had the pleasure of watching him play as a penguin and then also having him coach here during the last couple of Stanley cup runs uh, with the pens. And, you know, he's one of those guys that you, I would have loved to have seen stick around here, uh, but he's doing a hell of a job out in Vancouver. And, you know, I, if you would have asked me on either of the cases before the season started, Hey, this year we've got Winnipeg versus Vancouver and we've got Philadelphia in and Ottawa out. I would have thought you were smoking crack. Like there's no way there's just absolutely no way. And yet again, here we are. Now we're only a little over halfway through the season and we're, you know, so there's a lot of hockey to be played. Um, but you know, where we're trending here, we're getting close. We're not there yet, but we're about six weeks away from the NHL trade deadline. You know, March 8th is going to come up real quick. And um, there are some teams out there that, especially my penguins, that people are already, you know, kind of rubbing their hands together and seeing how they can peel Jake Gensel away or, you know, an Eric Carlson for the right deal or, or grab Tristan Jari. And there's a lot of teams that are like that too. They're like you said, the, the, the mushy middle, they're in the, on that bubble. Um, do you expect a lot of trades this year? I know some years there's plenty and other years it's like crickets. What do you expect to see as we get closer to the trade deadline? Who are, who's definitely going to move and where are they going to land? Yeah, don't you automatically have to say, oh, there's going to be dozens of trades. That way listeners and fans and subscribers stick around, right? Because you're right. I mean, I mean there is this – it's such an exciting time because, uh, you know, fans are – you know, it's the opportunity. It's that brief window, and you think maybe your team's a playoff team, and if you just added that one piece and, you know, if you got – uh, you know, if you've got Eric Carlson at the trade deadline or a Jake Gensel at the trade deadline, you know, what does that do for your team? You know, and I think, you know, Ryan O'Reilly wasn't a trade deadline guy, but, you the, you know, the, the history of the NHL is filled with, with guys who come in and, and, and make a difference and they become that missing part. Uh, I will tell you, though, that probably when you get out the big NHL ledger book, there are far more disappointments or far more trade deadline moves that don't pan out. And that's, you know, but it, there's a certain amount of expectation. And it's not just from the fans. I think it's from 
um, the, the the dressing rooms, right? Like, so if you're the if you're the Boston Bruins and you and as we speak today, they're the top team in the NHL. You know, I, I do think there's a certain amount of pressure on that organization, as much as their salary cap situation will allow, maybe to bring in some veteran depth down the middle, maybe add another defenseman. You know, I I think there is pressure every year on those elite teams. It's not just to make your own team better, which, of course, is the ultimate goal, but it's also not to be lapped by your opponents. And I'll I'll give you a great example. Carolina is another team I've done some uh, content for over the last couple of years. Um, And and Don Waddell, a GM there, had all kinds of cap room last year. Um, uh, He brought in Shane Gosper to bulk up the defense. Um, Max Pacioretty, who had only played a handful of games and suffered a second uh, Achilles injury, was hurt. And almost immediately after the trade deadline, Andrei Svechnikov went down with a knee injury and was lost for the rest of the season. Now, this is a Hurricanes team that went to an Eastern Conference final. To me, they remain one of the elite teams in the NHL. But at the end of the day, you're like, geez, if we had been able to, you know, nab and, and, you know, whatever the name is, Vladimir Tarasenko, you know, whatever the name is, even, you know, maybe someone down the, the you know, the, the free agent or the, the rental roster, maybe it makes a difference in a very close series that the, the Canes needed a couple of critical goals and ended up getting swept by upstart Florida in, in the Eastern Conference final. So, you know, there is a lot of pressure. And and I do think there will be a fair amount of movement. The problem is, and I think this goes back to last year, when you look at a team like Florida that, and you know, for Pittsburgh fans, I hate to bring this up, right? Pittsburgh wins a game against Chicago in Game 81. Chicago's a oh. bad team. It, you win that game, we aren't even having a conversation about Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers. It doesn't happen that way. Panthers get in, stun the Bruins, beat the Leafs, beat the Canes run out of gas uh, in the final against Vegas. But I think that's the danger then for a team, and especially a team like Pittsburgh that is so veteran-laden. You've got a lot of, you know, you've got a lot of history to deal with. You, you don't have a lot coming through the pipeline. You're in a bit of a hard spot. Washington in very much the same spot, maybe a little bit further down the, the transition road than the Penguins. But same thing, right? You've got Ovechkin, TJ Oshie, and John Carlson, you know, do you give them, you know, what do you do to try and give them another shot? Of course, both those teams missed the playoffs last year, both those teams, as we speak today, out of the playoff picture, but it does put pressure on management to say, well, okay, can we afford Jake Gensel? He's at $6 million now, come to the end of his current deal. What's this team look like if we miss the playoffs for the second year in a row? And how do you, how do you start the process of, trying to bring in good young players who will evolve into the next generation, right? And Jake Gensel's not that guy. He's 29. So, you know, if you think you win a cup, you don't even think about it and you just keep going. He does have a 12-team um, a no-trade list, according to Cap Friendly. Uh, so he does control some of his own destiny. But you know, Gensel's a great example of this. Um, you know, what do you, do you, what do, you do with, you know, Eric Carlson? That, you know, he's just been there for a month, it feels like. Do you approach him? Does he want to go somewhere else? I think of a guy like Patrick Kane, who's, you know, who has been, he's not playing right now. He's hurt. Uh, he's been pretty good, though, coming off hit uh, surgery for the Detroit Red Wings, but he's also on an expiring contract. If the Red Wings fall out of it, as we're speaking tonight, they're getting crushed by Dallas. I don't think they're ready to be in the playoffs, but who knows? 
Um, you know, does Patrick Kane find himself on the move again? So, uh, you know, I think there it will remain very much a moving target until March 8th. There will be teams who won't make a decision until maybe 2 o'clock on March 8th, uh, Eastern time. But um, I, you will see some movement. You know, Anaheim, teams are scouting Anaheim like crazy right now. Um, you do know that there are some players, you know, what, what's Ottawa going to do with Vladimir Tarasenko? Um, there are some players who, who look like they should definitely be on the move. Uh, I, I do think, though, it's so fluid right now that we're not really going to have a sense of it, you know, probably for three or four more weeks, although I will say, as I finally get to the end of this answer, that to me, the GMs who can make a move earlier than later, and, you know, like the Jamie Drysdale move, now that's a, diff- that's a real hockey trade, right, of two high-end prospects. But Jamie Drysdale has stepped right in and made an immediate impact for the Philadelphia Flyers. He's going to help them stay in that playoff hunt. If you can make a move as a GM that allows a player to come in and get, you know, you know, uh, you know, acclimatized and settled into a new system, you are so much further ahead than if you're making a move on March 8th. And, and really what you're talking about is five or six weeks um, to, to get a, a guy into a groove. And sometimes it, it doesn't happen. And, and we haven't even talked anything about goaltending, which is a whole other issue because it's so much more difficult in my mind to bring in a goaltender midstream if you are expecting a goaltender to, to play meaningful minutes and, and maybe be your starter down the stretch. That's even... That's even harder. The the odds are even uh, higher against you, I think. Yeah, and I'm not sure I can recall the last time a major goaltender was traded at the trading deadline. I mean, they seem to me like they're they're moves that are made in the off season, whether by trade or free agency. It's all like I can't, and maybe you can help me with it. I can't think of one that was like you know, and maybe, and I hate to say it, it goes back to like Barrasso. You know, in the Doug Bodger well, yeah. trade, you know, in the yeah. in the eighties, you know, yeah, you because know, I can't. I'm trying to think, like, because there's a lot of talk about Jar. There's a lot of talk, of, uh, you know, about, you know, uh, even in you know, even in the off season, we heard Johnny Gibson's name thrown around, or Connor Hellebuck's name thrown around. There now, you know, who knows what's going on there? And there are some teams that I think, like you mentioned, in that mushy middle that can that could cut both ways. And, and here, you know, Kyle Dubas is in, in a real awkward situation. He's got a fan base that wants to keep the team together, but he's got a, an expiring contract with a free agent that he might not be able to pay, even with the bump in the salary cap in the offseason of Jake Gensel. And the, with the right team and the right deal, he can get a player uh, and a prospect and a draft pick or whatever he wants to do there. And he's got a couple of those. It was like the Eric Carlson stuff we mentioned a few minutes ago. I mean, Carlson came here to have a shot at a cup and to get off of San Jose's roster. Uh, and we're, they're not sure they're making it in. And I know there's a lot of teams like that, too, which is really interesting. But I don't want to digress too far down this rabbit hole, but you mentioned Drysdale a couple of times, so I have to talk about it. I mean, what a crazy, nutty like to this day, I'm not sure really what happened, you know, with Cutter Gauthier and and the Flyers. Now, as a Penguin fan myself, I really don't care. But, but <laughs> you know, whatever happened there was just so awkward. It just sounded like uh, that was doomed from the start. And I think the Flyers did everything they could to professionally handle it the right way. And the way they answered the questions, they were honest, they were open, which you don't often get. Um, you know, I think I've, I've been spoiled here in the city over the last 
few years with, uh, you know, Jim Rutherford, who would just yeah. say anything at any time, anywhere. He was as open as, as any kind of book. Uh, not everybody plays their hand that way, but listening to, you know, flyer leadership from the tippy top on down, whether, you know, it was Jones or, or Torts or whomever, uh, they were pretty open about it. It's like, hey, the guy didn't want to be here. We moved him. We got what we got for him. And then the other teams around the league seem to be giving them some latitude with it. They're almost like, all right, we, we get it. We, we all might be in this situation one way. We're going to keep it silent. And, and they did it. And I, I don't know if that would happen in any other sport like that. Like I can't see yeah, it. It, like, it yeah. it's just such a strange culture, but it's it was good. What what's your read on the whole thing? Well, I I think there are a couple things about it, and actually, you know, you twigged it to me when you you know you talk about what does the Pittsburgh fan base want, and you know that's a whole other show. I think what you know what do what do people in Pittsburgh really want as you know, as the light starts to go out on on this, and I'll use again my air quote, you know, the dynastic Penguins. You know, what does the fan base really want, and how closely, or should ownership and management, do they care? Should they listen? But I think the Flyers are a great example of of why it's important to be in tune with the people who ultimately pay the freight, right? I mean, people stopped coming to Flyers games a few years ago, right? I mean, this is a this is one of the greatest hockey markets. Anywhere in the world, I don't care. Canada, U.S., that's a, it's a great hockey town. It has been that way for decades. But people stopped coming, and they stopped coming in large part because I think the organization lost its way. They were without direction. And I'm not talking about not winning the Stanley Cup since the mid-'70s, which is the reality, but it's well, what does it mean to be a flyer? What do we stand for? What's our identity? I mean, it's all cliche stuff, but it's all real stuff. And I really do think that Danny Breer and Keith Jones and, you know, one of my favorite guys in hockey, Alan McCauley's now in the executive, you know, in that upper management circle, really smart hockey people. And I think, why not tell people what you're doing? Like, I think you owe it to your fan base um, to keep them engaged when all of a sudden a guy who just was the top four of the World Junior Championships gets dealt to the Anaheim Ducks. Now, Jamie Drysdale's been a, uh, he made an immediate impact. He's going to be fine. Um, you know, Cutter Gauthier, who knows what his future is. He may be, you know, a star on a resurgent Ducks team in the next two or three years. But I think owner, management telling the fan base, hey, we tried to sign him. We tried to talk to him. Uh, he decided he didn't want to. And, and I think it's a cautionary tale for all kinds of teams because, you know, the whole structure is teams draft and when you're lousy you get better players when you draft in theory um, and they come into your system and they help make you better well yeah you know some players just decide uh, that's not a fit for me I'm not I'm not I don't want to be there and whatever the reason is maybe it's family maybe it's you know whatever the rationale is then they you can't make them do it so you you have to decide as an organization what are we going to do with a player who's decided he doesn't want to follow the the, the path that's set out there. And, you know, I know I, I love the state place in uh, in the Philly area has already banned Cutter Gauthier from going to any of their steak outlets moving forward. <laughs> you know, I love that kind of passion. But, you know, and, and I don't know, I don't profess to know exactly what it was that Cutter Gauthier decided along with his family and his representation, hey, this is not going to be a fit for us. We're, you know, this is just how it's going to work. So, figure it out and they did figure it out and um it, it does you know I, I 
I, I can see where teams would be like, geez, I hope that doesn't happen to us. Um, but I think the Flyers did a nice job of it. You know, Anaheim obviously gets a very high-end offensive talent. We'll see what happens with Cutter Gauthier there. But, you know, and I, I do like the transparency with the fan base because I think at some point, you know, sometimes teams and sometimes executives lose sight of the fact that, you know, uh, you know, we need to be – we need to be open and we need to tell our team's story. And sometimes that's a hard story to tell. Like the Penguins are going to go through this, right? If they miss the playoffs again this year, what is the story you tell your fans? Because at some point they're going to stop coming if they don't believe the story or if the story's too ugly to hear or they feel somehow that they, that whatever they think or feel, no one cares about that. Like I'm not saying that's going to happen. But it did happen in Philly, and I really think that that's, it's important to be able to repair that and by saying, hey, you pay our freight. So we're going to try and tell you as much as we can about what we're doing moving forward. And, I, I, you know, to me, I am so fascinated. You know, I've, I, I covered Sidney Crosby's first game. I spent a lot of time around Sidney Crosby over the years. I was fortunate, was at his home when they won the Cup in 09, and, you know, he's at the end of the 24-25 season, he's going to be a UFA. And I, I just, I'm just curious about what will happen and what kinds of discussions and what, what's, what's the plan moving forward, especially if you miss the playoffs for a second straight year, because you always say never, but, you know, Zdeno Chara ended up in a different jersey at the end. And, you know, Ray Bork in Colorado and, you know, go down the list. I know he never played, but Henrik Lundqvist, you know, left, you know, technically left the New York Rangers. So, you know, these things happen and, and sometimes it will be time. And I'm just curious to see how this plays out because it's hard to imagine Sidney Crosby in anything but Pittsburgh colors were in 87. But there may be a time that comes where that that story has to be rewritten or that the final chapter is, is going to be different than people would want it to be. Yeah, you know, I, I, I hope they handle it the way that the Rangers did with their fans a few years back where they put an open letter in the paper. Yeah. And we're like, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? We're going to deconstruct and we're going to rebuild and this is going to be painful, but we're doing it for the betterment of the team. And, you know, look, the Rangers, you know, they're not back. Right. Let's let's be let's be honest. I mean, it, the, the rebuild hasn't gone as smooth. They had a good season last year, and and uh, but just didn't didn't get to where they needed to be just yet. But they were honest with their fans, uh, and they didn't lose their way, as you kind of described with uh, with Philly. And, and that's the worst thing you can have. And there's a sophisticated fan base in Pittsburgh that understands that, you know, and they've seen other dynastic runs uh, come to end here with the with the Lemieux faction. And or yeah. if you migrate into other sports, you know, you've had the, you know, the Steelers multiple times uh, doing that. But, you know, I, I think that as long as they're honest with the fan base and it's look, it's a new ownership group. They don't have the friendlies of the Mary Lemuse and the, the goodwill that's in the community. The Fenway group has really got to really has to take a, you know, a, you know, a, like a real hometown look because that's what this this market is going to bear uh, in Pittsburgh. So we'll see. But. Yeah, Scott, we're coming to the end of the show here. We only got a couple minutes left. Um, I'm going to squeeze in one last question before I tell you to tell everybody where they can find you. 
Uh, I love to hate this last move, but this week we got some big news in the coaching carousel with Patrick Waugh going to the Islanders. Again, a, a Metro uh, division foe of my beloved Pittsburgh Penguins. What's your take on that in, in 30 seconds or less? And, uh, you know, you, good move, bad move, indifferent to it. What are your, what are your thoughts on Waugh going to the Islanders? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I I think it's good for the game. I, I, I like the idea that he's back there just given – how fiery he! How fiery he is! Um, I'm, you know, I covered him when he came to Colorado the first time as a head coach. He won Jack Adams in the first year, nearly beat up Bruce Boudreaux after his first game. I mean, it's it's all, you know, there's lots of drama, and you know, he he's a, he's one of the greatest players of all time. So I, I I totally understand it. I'm not a huge fan of how that Islander team is built. And I wrote about this the other day, and uh, you know, um, with all due respect to Lou Lamorello, this, you know, there's sort of a mythology that's been built up about the New York Islanders GM, and um, I, I, I'm not sure it's borne out. Um, you know, when you look at his uh, track record in New Jersey after the 0405 lockout, you look at his work in Toronto, uh, you look at his work with the Islanders, two trips to the Eastern Conference Final, but I, I, I give Barry Trotz all kinds of credit as the coach there. Then he fired Barry Trotz. Um, I, to me, they're a bubble team. Maybe they make the playoffs with Patrick Roy, but they're not, a, they're not a team that's built for sustainable success, I don't think. And that's not just this year. They were the same the last two years. They'll be the same moving forward. Um, so I just don't know. I don't know how Patrick Roy solves all that, all that. But, you know, maybe we'll have this conversation in – mid-May and the Islanders are charging through the Eastern Conference and I'll eat some crow on it. But, you know, I think it's good to have Patrick Roy in the, Roy in the game. I just don't see that he can fix what actually ails the Islanders and that's how that roster is constructed. Well, Scott, thank you very much for being on Draft Nation tonight. Appreciate that. I'd love to have you back as we get closer to the trade deadline and um, tell everybody real quick where they can find you. Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Overtime Scott B, and uh, so you can hang around there. And I uh, have a newsletter, Burnside on Hockey. So, you know, check that out if you have a mind. And um, yeah, those, so that's um, that, that's where you can catch me. And uh, I've had a ton of fun. So thanks for having me aboard. Well, it's been my pleasure. And again, thanks to our sponsor, iHeartMedia, where you can find all your ma- favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free. And remember, while Draft Nation may be off the air, we are always on the clock for you. Thanks again, Scott. We'll have you back soon.